Amen. All right, we're continuing in our evangelism boot camp. It's our third week. Plan to go one more week with this. Is that thing going to sit still or just be crazy? There we go. Plan to go one more week. We've been in it for three weeks now. This is the third week. And uh, so one more week of this, and then we'll be moving on. We've talked the first two weeks about... Uh, the first week was about the, the trademark that we've been given. The trademark we've been given to wear, the logo of a Jesus follower is sincere love. Sincere love is the trademark given by God for his people. That no matter how many times you memorize the Roman roads, and I highly encourage you to memorize the Roman roads, that if you're not treating people from a place of sincere love, that your evangelism is futile. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And then we looked at last week that the Spirit of God satisfies our eternal thirst. That's what the, that's what the Spirit does, the Holy Spirit. It satisfies that longing, that, that hole. You've heard it said in many different ways what, what that feels like, but we are born with eternity in the heart. We are born longing for something. And Jesus tells us that when He gives the living water, the Holy Spirit, that it will satisfy your soul now and forever. So in that, in evangelism, with evangelism in mind, we want to make the world thirsty for the good news of the gospel by living out the good news of the gospel. And then this week, we're looking at Be My Witness. And we'll be in Acts 1, 1 through 8 to start, and then a lot of other places after that. Acts 1, 1 through 8 to start. So I was thinking about this, getting ready for today and I was thinking about this idea of being a witness and it kind of made me think like what if what if Lord forbid what if there was a uh, a child murder that took place right these things happen in this sin-filled world a child that was taken from this world by someone else something as about as horrific as we can think of what if that happened and there was a person that 100% without a shadow of a doubt saw that crime took place? They, they knew what happened. They saw the details. They saw the murderer. They knew what took place. And then they just, when asked by the police and the authorities to share if they knew about what took place, what if they just, what if they just refused to come forward? And share what they knew about that crime. What, what if they said like, you know, well, I just, I just don't want to offend. I, I don't want to offend the murderer. My, my witnessing may offend the murderer. What, what if they said, well, they're going to put me on the stand. And what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? You know, that kind of scares me. So I'm just not going to come forward. I'm not going to share what I know to be true. What if they're just plain scared of the response? They just flat out say, I, I don't want the media attention. I don't, I don't want the pressure of the trial. I don't, I don't want what, what repercussions may be coming. I, I know that I saw that man murder that child. And I could be the one to bring that man to justice in this world. I know those things, but it's, it's, just, it's just too scary for me to be the witness in this situation. What word would come to your mind to describe that person. Only one word comes to my mind to describe that person. 
a coward. That's what that person is, is a coward. And, and it's easy to see that cowardice when it's something bad. When we look at that, and if, I, if that were a, a real story, and it's and it probably been a real story more than once throughout the history of man. If that were a real story that you, that you knew that was taking place, you, you would be outraged by how ridiculous that would be. How, how, how much of a chicken, a coward that person would be to not to do that. And, and then here we are, follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then this just, you can just point fingers and say, ha, ha, ha. Here we are, follower of Jesus. We have something equally on the opposite end of the spectrum, equally or even surpassing in the good of what we have to witness about. And we say those same things. We, we recognize it in a bad situation how cowardice that is not to stand up and do what you should do, the right thing. But we have something even better, even better than anything anyone could possibly imagine to witness about, to share about. And we make every excuse in the book not to do it. Witness, witness a witness, by definition, a witness is someone who provides testimonial evidence to what they have seen and or experienced. A witness is someone who provides testimonial evidence to what they have seen and or experienced. So we're picking up today with that idea in mind, and I can tell y'all are super excited. I can see it on your faces, like y'all are fired up to dig into the Word today. I am excited. Man, this is going to be good. Whew. We are picking up in Acts, and many of you know, but just in case you don't, or you need a reminder, Acts is the second part of a two-part letter. There was a guy, Dr. Luke, that we are all but 100% sure wrote what we call the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. He wrote them two separate letters to one subject. He was writing it to one person. He was writing these two letters to a guy named Theophilus. We know nothing about Theophilus. We, we, we assume that he was probably a well-to-do man, well-to-do person in the society in which he lived um, by how Luke addresses him and the fact that he writes these two letters, which was not cheap to do, to him. And, and, and in the beginning of Luke's gospel, and again, you treat Luke and, and, and Acts as, this, as one. It's the same author writing to the same person. It's two letters describing two different time periods. But in the first letter in the Gospel of Luke, as we call it, he says at the beginning, and I love this because it really plays to my, my, my nerdy mind. It's nerdy, not dirty. <laughs> I know I said that too fast. My nerdy mind. <laughs> since I have, this is what Luke said to Theophilus, since I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's what Luke says at the beginning of his gospel. Don't skim over that. That's pretty cool. Think about the implications of what Luke is saying. He's an educated man. He's a doctor. He's a physician. And he goes to painstaking detail. About 60% of the gospel story comes from the gospel of Luke. Thank you, Luke for following the promptings of the Holy Spirit and documenting this for us so that we can know these things and have certainty in the things that we have placed our faith in. But we're picking it up in the second letter, right at the beginning of the second letter. That's where we are today. Luke's still talking to Theophilus. 
I wrote the first narrative, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. That's good stuff Luke's given us right there. He's given it to Theophilus, but he didn't know he was giving it to us, but he did. That's good stuff. You know, we have a, we have a Acts 1-8 fund at this church because of that verse. That's why it's named that, the Acts 1-8 fun, because of that verse right there. And we're going to dig into these verses and get some background and then kind of go forward to maybe uh, what it would look like for us to be what we've been called to be. So he starts there, and he says, hey, all right, Theo. That's what I would have called him. Theophilus this is too long of a name. All right, Theo, you know what I told you in the first, in the first letter I sent you? All about what Jesus did. Now, here comes what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. Here's the rest of the story, so to speak. Can you, can you imagine? I, heard it, I, I, I read a, comment, a commentator that said this. What, what if we didn't have Acts, right? What if it finishes with Luke, right, and Jesus ascending, and then it picks up in Romans, right? Well, how the heck did it get there? What do you mean Rome? Where's Jerusalem, and, and now it's in Rome? Like, Acts is a very, very informative, very important letter in the, in, the, in the scriptures, in the New Testament. It's awesome. He says, so I told you about all that stuff, and he gave them instructions, the apostles. He gave them instructions after he was resurrected, after now it kind of clicked. Oh, uh, you're God. Like, you meant the I'm going to die and come back to life stuff. That wasn't like, okay, all right. Now they were ready to really learn what he was going to teach them, and he teaches them over a 40-day period. And then he says there <clears throat> in verse 3, the part I have highlighted there, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a 40-day period, speaking about the kingdom of God. Convincing proofs. Even when they saw him at first, they still didn't believe that they were seeing him. So he had to convince them. And you know what some of those things were. Look, here. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Give me something to eat. I will eat. I'm not, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a, I'm not a spirit floating around. Give me something to eat. I will eat some food. He convinced them. He, he had to show them and prove to them that he really was back bodily alive. Bodily alive. Not a spirit. Bodily alive. And those that have placed their faith in Jesus will be resurrected bodily again alive forevermore. Woo! I'm getting fired up. I'm fixing to preach, Brett. I'm telling you right now, I can feel it coming. I can feel it coming. So, those convincing proofs, right? Paul says it like this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, 
for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living when Paul wrote this letter in, to the Corinthians, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Speaking of the way that Paul abnormally became an apostle. To be apostle, you had to, you had to have physically seen Jesus. And Paul, was, Paul saw Jesus, but it was a little bit later on. It's quite the amazing story how Paul came to be. But my point is, these convincing proofs. Paul, Paul is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, being the nerd that I am. He says, hey, he appeared to Cephas. And he appeared to the rest of the apostles, and he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters, most of which are still alive, most of which you can go ask them if this happened. Think about that. Think about how quickly Paul could be discredited, would have been discredited, if he was just making this stuff up. That's what they like to say nowadays. Well, this stuff was just made up. Oh, okay. I don't think so. There's too much detail, there's too much history. If, if someone were to say that today, if I were to tell you today, hey, you can go ask 500 people what I did yesterday, and I told you what I did yesterday, and you go ask 500 people, these 500 people, you know who they are, and you went and asked by the third or fourth person that said, I have no idea what he's talking about. You would say, hey, you're a liar. And these letters would have ceased to exist. They'd have been lost with the rest and the most of, of, of historical documents. But they didn't. They preserved them with their lives because it was the Word of God documenting and giving convincing proof to the Son of God, the Word of God. In other words, this is not a mindless faith that we've been given. This is not an illogical faith. It's not a you're going to know every answer faith. That's not going to happen. You, you think your tiny little brain can understand the infinite? Give me a break. We could combine all the brain power in this room and we wouldn't even come close to the eternal being that exists outside of space and time and matter. He doesn't answer to you, he doesn't answer to me, but he knows what it's like to be human because he became a human and he knows that you need real information and he gave us convincing proofs. It is not a mindless, ignorant Faith. Students, it is not a mindless, ignorant faith. Never let someone convince you of that, no matter how hard some of your professors may try one day. They're the ones convinced of a mindless faith. All this came out of accident. That's mindless. My faith's not mindless. Woo. Mm. Moving along. <laughs> it says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. Jesus says, you've heard me say this already. You've heard it said by others already that this is going to happen. You didn't get it, but I told you this was going to happen. You have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when the Lord had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? To which I would have said, no, dummy. 
but I, thankfully I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. God, is this, is this when we finally get our kingdom? No, dummy. You're missing the point. It's way better than that. Jesus says, hey, wait and pray and pray and wait. It's coming. He's coming. The comforter, the one that's going to give you power. You're going to be baptized by this Holy Spirit, submerged, covered up, filled up by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is not something new. John the Baptist, the wild man, it's documented in all four Gospels that this was going to happen. John said it in all four Gospels. Check it out. Matthew 3.11, John, the precursor, the, the forerunner to the Messiah, said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Or Mark, Mark 1.8, the way Mark is. You know, Mark's pretty short. He's, bam, he's to the point. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Still quoting John the Baptist. Or in John, not John the Baptist. I know it gets confusing. But John the Baptist says in John, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. If I have seen, I have seen and testified, with our idea of witnesses, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Or Luke, that goes along with Acts. John answered them all, John the Baptist, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, it's done been said. It's done been said what was going to happen. We, we've been telling you now for years, Jesus is saying. But here it comes. You didn't understand what John was telling you, and you didn't understand. Jesus has quoted this saying this throughout the Gospels too. You didn't get it. But you're about to get it. And oh, buddy, is it going to be good when it happens. Here it comes. He says that when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He says, no, it's not about the kingdom of Israel. Not yet. And, and not really the way you're thinking about it. Not really at all. Right? So just a, I don't know, just a free morsel this morning. If you, if like, now, if, you get, if it's like entertainment, that's great. But... Like if you're consistently more worried about the end of times and, and like when Jesus is going to come back and, and, and all those types of things more than you are doing what Jesus has called you to do, then you're probably wasting your time. Now, that's a fairly wholesome way to be entertained, I reckon, better than a lot of the other things we choose to entertain us. But Jesus says like, stop, no, don't waste your time on that stuff. Here's what it's about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay? Catch that? You will be my witnesses. Okay? Does it say you might be my witnesses? Does it say if you feel like being my witnesses? Does it say on, on the good days, be my witnesses? Does it say as, as long as you want to offend someone, then be my witnesses? As long as they don't ask you questions that you don't know answers to, be my witnesses? As long as it's not scary, be my witnesses, as long as it's not inconvenient for us, be my witnesses, as long as it doesn't cost you anything, no time, no money, no energy, no reputation, nothing, then be my witness. It doesn't say that. What does it say? What does it say, Steph? It says you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll have, receive power from the Holy Spirit. 
So the Spirit comes and gives power and gifts of the Spirit. But the Spirit doesn't come to give gifts. Catch me now, because now I'm preaching. The Spirit comes and gives power, and it gives gifts of the Spirit. That's what it does, but it doesn't come to do that. It doesn't, you understand what I'm saying? It comes to give power, and it comes to give gifts of the Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. You understand that? You weren't given the gift of encouragement just for the gift of encouragement. They, they weren't given the gift of speaking tongues just for, so you can walk around and say, hey, I speak in tongues. That's pretty cool. Like, watch this. That's what I would have done if I were them. I'm not going to lie. I would have done that at least once. Watch this. I'm going to say something that's going to come out in a different language. This is cool. Right? You're not given the gift of teaching or administration or all the other gifts of the Spirit. You're not given those just because. The Spirit comes to give power and gifts so that we can witness about Jesus Christ. That is the point. So that you can be a witness. Jesus himself answers the question that you may be thinking, well, be a witness to what? Like, what am I to testify about? What, what am I witnessing about? He says it, if you go back to the end of Luke, which is the, the, the end of, of this letter as we pick it up in Acts, it says it this way, Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, he being Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. We would say everything written about you in the Old Testament, but that was the way they would describe it. Must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now think of it this way. It's kind of like when you watch a TV show and, the, and there's an ending and then in the next episode, they kind of quickly retell the ending of the last one to continue on. So Jesus does this, and in the beginning of Acts, he reminds the apostles that Jesus has done this, that he's taught them these things and, and told them that, that about, uh, they opened their mind to understand what they didn't understand before. So it's not contradictory, it's actually complimentary. He's just retelling what he's already said at the end of the first time he wrote to the apostles. That all these things must be fulfilled. And he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Continuing. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed, clothed with power from on high. Again, the ending of Luke and the beginning of Acts are retelling the same thing very quickly both times. Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. We are to be witnesses to that. We are to testify to that. Why do you believe that Jesus is God? Because several books written over hundreds of years by dozens of authors said what Jesus would do, and then he came and he did it. He fulfilled the scriptures. He died on the cross, and he was resurrected Never leave that out. That's kind of important. He died on the cross to take the wrath of God, the punishment of sin, so you wouldn't have to. And is so good that he was resurrected, proving his power over death. 
taking the sting of death away. Still stings right now, but one day, <clears throat> it's not going to sting anymore. It's not going to sting anymore one day. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about you. The cross and the resurrection. He forgave you. He saved you. He gifted you with eternal life and with power from the Holy Spirit and with gifts of, the, of His Spirit to be a witness. And He has changed my now and He has changed my forever. That is what we are to testify. And if that's not true, then you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And you've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you don't understand what Scripture says. Because you can't understand what Scripture says until you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit just plucks you with His grace, convicts you and calls you. The grace of God calls you to be able to understand these things. But when you have, those things are all true in your life, and they should be testified about. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. I heard it said, I can't remember the, the I've heard it said by many preachers, but I can't remember the exact guy that actually said this, but he talked about how the, the brightest light that shines the farthest will be brightest at home, right? Like the mission work that we do far off, it ought to be brightest right here. It ought to be brightest right here in our Jerusalem. The witnessing we do about the power of Jesus that comes through His Holy Spirit, the gift of His Holy Spirit, and the gift of eternal life, it ought to be brightest right here, and the brighter it is right here, the further away it will shine. It's not this or that, it's this and that, always and forever. We are witnessing here, and then here, and then here, right? So what did the apostles and the disciples do? Jesus told them, hey, wait, it's coming going to be cool. What did they do? Let's skip down to Acts 2. So in between where we're leaving off and where we're picking up, all they've done is, is select Matthew to be the 12th apostle, because we all know, most of us know that they lost an apostle, because he wasn't worth a flip. So they had to replace Judas with Ma Matthew, and then we're picking back up in Acts 2, and this is when it gets really cool, and I'm going to read a bunch of scripture, so please stay with me. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had arrived... They were all together in one place. Suddenly, picture this, picture it. A sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues, picture it. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were Jew, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem because of the, 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 celebration, the, it's the celebration of Pentecost. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Man, God is so smart. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused. Think about it. When this sound occurred, think about being outside of that upper room. What in the world? You know, they say a, a tornado sounds like a train horn, right? Think about it. The sound rushing from heaven. And all these people are talking. What is the world's going on? 
When this sound occurred, a, cr a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these the country bumpkins from Galilee that speak a very strange form of our actual language? And now they're speaking all these other languages? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? I mean, think about it. Think about it. If we had like 10 or 15 languages represented here today, first of all, that would be awesome. That would be cool if that really were true. I know it's not even really possible where we live, but it would still be really cool. And I stood up here, and I was speaking in my mind, and what was coming out of my mouth to me was English. But all 10 or 15 people that understood in a different language heard what I was saying in their language. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, what else could you explain that to be other than a work of God? Well, there's one other explanation that they went for <laughs> as we move forward. <laughs> they all heard it in their own native language. Listen to all these places and, and people groups and languages that are, that are, that are there. Parth Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some, and there's always but some, but some sneered, there's always a few sneers, and said, They're drunk. They're drunk on new wine. I mean, think about it. Think about the, it would be fairly chaotic, right? This is not... This is not just like you sit there and stare back at me with a dead face. Like you would be like, what in the world is going on? How is this happening? Maybe they're drunk. Maybe we're drunk. I don't know. Why are we hearing these weird, weird things? What is going on? Holy, this is crazy. We skim over this part like it's just no big deal because we've read it so many times. It's a miracle. Peter stood up. Why? Because nobody understood what was going on. So somebody had to stand up and bring order. Yeah, you Baptists like to hear that, didn't you? I know I do too. Just had to stand up and bring order to this chaotic situation that was taking place. We love that. Not so much on the spirit moving. We're more that order stuff. We're, we're, we're good at that. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. We ain't been up long enough for that to happen. As you suppose, since it's only 9 in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet, prophet Joel. What's the answer? God's word. It's always the answer. This is what Joel said hundreds of years ago. About this day, this dude Peter is preaching, and it, 
And it will be in the last days. These are the, the quote from Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. And they will prophesy. Ooh, men and women will prophesy. Sorry, don't get distracted. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone, then everyone, or in the old language of English, whosoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He stands up and he brings order by speaking God's word, but somebody had to stand up and be the leader. It finally, I think, I think this is the moment that it finally clicked for Peter. You know what I mean? When, hey, you're Peter, and on this rock, this truth of what I'm telling you will build the church. I think this might be the moment where it finally went, right? The light bulb comes on. It's like, oh, time to do what I've been called to do. Time to do it. He says, fellow Israelites, Listen to these words. Listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Y'all were there. Y'all saw these miracles. Y'all know what took place. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. That's your God. It's not possible for him to be held by death. That's a God I can follow now. I'm telling you right now. I'm getting fired up. I'm getting my slides all mixed up, and everything's getting I'm, I'm, whoo. Here we go. For David says of him, I saw the Lord. He's quoting scripture again. I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. I speak about being joyful in the Lord. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You, Speaking of Jesus, also in the grave. That's really cool. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Verse 29, chapter 2, we're still there in Acts. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. This is Peter back talking. He is both dead and buried. Right? David was saying that you will not let your, your, your holy one be abandoned in Hades or allow your holy one to see decay. He says, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Y'all know where it is. Just go around the corner. That's where David's buried. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. You want an explanation for what's taking place? God's doing something miraculous. It's amazing. That's what's happening. 
Our God is amazing. He foretold us about this a thousand years ago, 700 years ago, 600 years ago. And now it's happening. It's happening. That's what you're hearing. It's happening. Jesus has done something. It's amazing. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, we like that part because we like it when Peter's saying, You, you, y'all did it. You killed God. And then he proved that you couldn't. But real quick flip, that you, that reason Jesus is on the cross, that's you. And that's me. Just as guilty. Whom you crucified. He's made him Lord and Messiah. Verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent. Repent from your sin and be baptized. Each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have not received the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is not evident in your life, if there's not Holy Spirit evidential fruit in your life, then you probably have never received the Holy Spirit. And it's not an if, if you will receive the Holy Spirit or not. It is a certainty that we will all receive the Holy Spirit. It looks different it's different giftings, it's different ways it plays out, but there are certain things that every follower of Jesus said ought to be bearing out in our lives. You will be a witness of these things. Repent and be baptized. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And we know how many he called. Everybody. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized that day. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. Ooh, that 35 minutes went by fast. I'll wrap it up real quick. Y'all ready? Fast for me, maybe not for you. Catch two things here at the end of this, what happened when, when the gift of the Holy Spirit was coming. Yes, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But there's not, it's not just one little magical thing. It says right here, with many other words, verse 40, many other words he testified, he was witnessing, and strongly urged them. It's not a magic word formula. It's a witnessing it's a telling of what you know and what you have experienced. No magic formula. And 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus right there. That's a movement of God. And then catch this, last thing. The repentance and the baptism was the start, church. They, after that, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. The apostles' teaching, the Word of God. When you get baptized, it doesn't stop. It's the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning. 
church, when someone in our church gets baptized, we have got to bring them into the fold of God and make sure that they're receiving the teachings of the apostles, the word of God, that we are fellowshipping and breaking bread. I knew I'd get an amen on that. That we are fellowshipping and breaking bread, spending time with each other, in other words, and that we're praying together. We have to be together, church, in order to do what God has called us to do. Period. End of story. Moving on. And that part, that part right there, is what we'll finish up with next week, our final week in this series. So, three things and we're out. We must be a witness. Must. That's not a question. So I'm going to give you three handles, three handles on that for moving forward. There's a gajillion ways you could witness and things you could witness about what Jesus has done. There's, it's probably infinite in the ways that you could do it, but just three things to think about. How do I testify about who Jesus is? The first thing is, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is what Jesus has done for me. What has he done for you? Maybe you have a crazy, unbelievable saving testimony, right? Down in the dumps, caught in addiction, caught in this, just awful. Like, like, like you like can barely understand that God could still love you. Maybe that's your testimony. Use it. Great. Okay? But if that's not your testimony, maybe you were just raised in church by two pretty good parents that loved you and cared for you and brought you here all the time, most of the time against your will. But somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit moved and you accepted the gospel. And your testimony is that you were saved to a life of abundance in God. Not abundance in stuff, abundance in God, in peace, in joy. Maybe that's your testimony. Don't discount that testimony, church. That's a great testimony. The person that has the saving testimony from the addictions and all that stuff, they'd rather have that testimony They'd rather not have gone, to gone through all that stuff to be saved by Jesus. They'd rather have your testimony. Use it. This is what Jesus has done for me. Both of those testimonies are great and anywhere in between. But he's done something for you. And if he hadn't, then you ain't never accepted him. You've never submitted your life to him. Something has got to happen. Second, this is what Jesus has done for someone I know. Maybe the situation calls for that. Maybe you know someone who's got that great testimony of a faithful faithful parents and family and grandmama that brought them to church and and their life wasn't perfect of course it wasn't perfect it was difficult in its own different ways but they experienced jesus the majority of their life because they got saved at a young age and it's a great testimony and maybe the situation you're in that's the testimony that needs to be witnessed about or maybe you use the other one right or whatever in between someone else this is what Jesus has done for someone I know. This is how God saved my dad. This is how God saved my brother. This is how I prayed for 10 years for this coworker to get saved. And they did. That's a powerful testimony. And the last one, this is what Jesus has done for me recently. I don't know if I typed that up, bro. That looks weird. This is what Jesus is and has done recently for me. What am I saying? Have a current testimony, church. If your only testimony is when you accepted Jesus, then what have you been doing? What have we been doing with our time? If you used to have breath, then you've been given time to witness for Jesus. Have a current testimony. You say, how do I have a current testimony? You ready? Two words. Do something. Do something. 
Do something. Invest in the kingdom of God. Take risks for Jesus. And by doing that, have a new story and a new testimony to tell. You, you will, with 100% certainty, do something for Jesus, and you'll have a new story to tell, a new testimony to give. Have a current testimony. If your testimony is, I got saved 40 years ago, and I'm really thankful that I'm not going to hell, that I'm going to heaven. That testimony needs to be updated. <laughs> it needs to be updated. Too much work to do for us not to be doing what we've been called to do. Too much work. Too many people out there that need to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And God has given us that responsibility as his witnesses to the world. I'll pray for us, and we'll finish up in song. God, I thank you for today and for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that, oh, Lord, I'm just so thankful that you, your grace covers our unending will to not do what you've called us to do, God. There's so many times that I have a witness when you've called me to, and we all have, Lord. Thank you that you forgive us for that. But, Lord, just don't, don't let us stay there. Push us out of that. Move us to use what has happened in our life and what you've done for us in our life as a testimony, a witness for you, the Savior of all mankind. Motivate us, inspire us with the Holy Spirit to live it out in a way that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.